Let's see. Well, good morning. We are back in the book of Ruth this morning, and I hope you are as excited as I am. This is such a delightful book, and for the whole month of February as a church, we get to spend time in this book. So today, we have the joy of spending time in Ruth chapter 2. So turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to briefly bring us back up to speed with what has happened in chapter 1. So chapter 1 opens with a statement of the setting of the book. It says, in the time of the judges in the time of the judges. And that should ring an ominous note in our minds. This was a time in Israel's history that was characterized by chaos and sin and wickedness. This is not a good time in Israel's history. So in this time of the judges, we get introduced to a family of four. Elimelech and Naomi are the parents and they have two boys, Malon and Kilion. And there's a famine that's taking place in their homeland in the nation of Israel in Bethlehem. And this is likely due to the fact that the nation of Israel in the time of the judges, everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. Complete disregard for God and his ways. So God has likely brought his discipline on the nation of Israel. But this family decides there's no food here in Bethlehem. Why don't we go over here to the country of Moab where there's food? So Elimelech and Naomi pack up their boys and all their belongings and they head over to Moab where there is food. But soon tragedy strikes. Naomi loses her husband, Elimelech. And then over the course of the next 10 years, her sons grow up, marry Moabite women, and then each one of her sons dies. So Naomi is left in a foreign land as a widow without her husband and grieving the loss of her two sons. So think with me about uh, Naomi. Can you imagine the pain and the hopelessness that this woman felt? She views God as someone who is actively working against her, as a God who empties her instead of fills her, as a God who has afflicted her, who has taken away from her everything she held dear. But then she hears that the Lord has visited his people again and there's food back in the land of Israel. So she decides, why don't I pack up and head home? So on her way back to Israel, she comes to Bethlehem, her hometown, and she begins to be recognized by some of the local women there. And they're like, oh, Naomi, we haven't seen you forever. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because my life is bitter. The Lord has made my life very bitter. He has opposed me. He has afflicted me. I went away full. I went away with a husband and two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty, alone, helpless, hopeless but she's not really alone, technically, right? There's a part of the story I left out. One of her sons had married a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth. And even though Ruth had tried, or Naomi had tried to convince Ruth, don't come with me. I'm a dead end for your future. There's nothing my way. Ruth refused. 
And in this remarkable demonstration of kindness and loyal love, Ruth promises Naomi, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. I'm going with you, Naomi. I'm committing myself to you and I will love you till my dying day. So Naomi is back home with Ruth, the Moabitess. And the question that's hanging over chapter one is what kind of God has Ruth committed herself to? Is Naomi's God only a God who takes away, who empties, but doesn't fill? Or is it possible, is it possible that Naomi's God behind and underneath all the emptiness that she feels is a God who has an unrelenting commitment to do her good. A God who delights in surprising and even overwhelming her with his kindness. So that's the question that looms large over this chapter. So let's pick up the story in uh, chapter one at the very end, verse 22. The narrator tells us that Naomi and Ruth arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family, and his name was Boaz. So here, here we start to see the first hints that the tide of Naomi's life may be changing. She had left Bethlehem because of a famine, and now she has returned just in time for the barley harvest. And what's more, there's a prominent man in the city, a man of noble character who lives in Bethlehem, and he just so happens to be a relative of her dead husband. So this has the potential to be really, really good news because in that culture, relatives were supposed to provide for and protect those in the family who were less fortunate than they. So this was something God had commanded them to do. So because of God's love and concern and care for the poor, for the weak, for the vulnerable, for the needy of society, God has called wealthy relatives to act as redeemers for their poor and destitute family members. So these family members were responsible for ensuring that the land God had given to each family stayed within that family. And if some family members came on hard times and maybe had to sell the land or even sell themselves into slavery, it was the family redeemer's responsibility and even privilege to step in and to buy them back, to redeem them. However, at this point in Naomi's life, she seems blind to the kindness of God. Her troubles and her sorrows have overwhelmed her. And she can only imagine God as someone who is in opposition to her, not as someone who is for her. And so the, the thought that there could be a redeemer out there doesn't even cross her mind. And I wonder if you can sympathize with Naomi this morning. Some of you have faced profound grief 
and suffering. Like Naomi, you too have lost loved ones. The the hopes and the dreams that you had now lie buried in a grave. And the empty chairs around the dinner table are a constant reminder to you of the loss you've experienced. There is a hole deep down in your heart that cannot be healed in this life, but must wait until the next. This life is hard. The sorrows, the griefs, the troubles we face can begin to loom large across the horizons of our lives. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the sorrows and the griefs and the troubles of life can begin to blind us to the grace and kindness of God all around us. And this is what has happened to poor Naomi. The deep and profound pain and hardship of her life have left her feeling hopeless and alone. But God. But God doesn't leave her there. Even though Naomi doesn't realize it yet, God is actively pursuing her with his faithful love. And by the end of this day, Naomi's despair will be overcome by the surprising and overwhelming kindness of her God. So let's see how this happens. Look with me at verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? So unlike Naomi, Ruth hasn't completely lost all hope in the kindness of God. You see, Ruth is aware that the God to whom she has pledged herself to is a God who is so kind and so merciful to the poor and the helpless and the foreigner like herself. She must have remembered passages like Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, where God in grace and kindness commands his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather all the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. And Ruth must have remembered Deuteronomy 24, 19, where God says, when you reap the harvest in your field and you, you happen to forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back for it. It is to be left for the resident alien. It's to be left for the fatherless. It's to be left for the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In these laws, Ruth has come to know something of the kindness of God for her. Even though she was a poor and and a foreign widow, notice how many times the narrative points out that she's a Moabite. Even though she's poor and a foreigner, the God of Israel has graciously made a way for her to survive. He has commanded his people to care more about the poor and the destitute than about maximizing their profits. They were to intentionally leave grain unharvested 
all around the corners of the field for foreign widows just like Ruth to gather. However, maybe you've thought of this one big potential problem. This is during the time of the judges. This is during the time when men did what was right in their own eyes. This is during the time when chaos and evil and sin reigned throughout Israel. And so it doesn't take much, does it, to imagine what a poor, destitute, Moabite widow could experience out in the fields around Bethlehem. She has no social standing, no family protection. She is completely vulnerable to the verbal and physical assaults of evil men. And what's more, she could be chased off by greedy landowners who don't care about God or the poor. But desperate times call for desperate measures. So despite the danger, Ruth decides to risk it and trust, hope that she will find someone out there who will show her favor. Well, whether Naomi thought this was likely or not, the text doesn't tell us. She just agrees to let Ruth go. So look at verse three. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. As luck would have it, of all the fields Ruth could have wandered into that day, she just so happens to wander into Boaz's field. And can't you just see the twinkle in the narrator's eye at this point? What a lucky coincidence! Ruth just happens to end up in the field of one of her family redeemers. But Ruth is completely oblivious to this, right? She doesn't know anything about Boaz or his relationship to her dead father-in-law. She is just thankful that she happened to find a field where she could work. But then, lo and behold, guess who shows up? Look at verse 4. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. So here we finally get to meet the man the narrator told us about in verse one. He wanted us to pay attention. Notice this man and and pay attention to the first words out of his mouth. What does Boaz say when he comes onto the scene? The Lord be with you. Here is a man who knows the Lord God of Israel and who brings his faith into his work. And his workers immediately respond back. The Lord bless you, Boaz. So the picture being painted for us is one of a godly landowner who has created a positive, wonderful work environment that is centered around the Lord. But as Boaz looks around at his workers, he notices someone new in the background. And so he calls over one of his servants and he asks, whose young woman is that? Now, I think it's important for us to pause here and realize what is not happening. What is not happening is Boaz riding up tall, dark and handsome on his white stallion. And he has to glance over into the field and there's Ruth and the wind's gently blowing her hair and She looks up at him and he looks down at her and his knees go weak and his heart goes pitter-patter. And no, 
That's not what's happening here. The narrator doesn't tell us anything what they look like. And the narrator leads us uh, to believe that there's not even sparks flying at this point. What, what's happening? What's happening is the narrator is painting a picture for us of a godly landowner who far from ignoring or even running off a foreigner who is gleaning in his fields, this landowner takes an interest in her as a person. And asking, whose young woman is this? Boaz is asking about her family background. He's curious to know if she belongs to a family. After all, why is she out here? And, and does she have a father or, or a husband to take care of her? So little does he know that this young foreign woman is the widowed daughter-in-law of one of his relatives. Now, I think, I think Boaz's interaction should stand out to us. Ruth would have been so easy for Boaz to ignore. So easy. I'm sure to many landowners, she would have been completely invisible. But Boaz notices her. He notices her. And that's because Boaz is a man who has been gripped, who has been taken by the kindness and love of God for him. And that spills over into all of his interactions. So what about you? Do you have eyes to see what Boaz saw? Or do your eyes quickly pass over the poor, the outcasts, the socially unacceptable? Do you only notice, engage with, talk with, connect with people who are like you and treat as invisible those who are different from you? Boaz refuses to do this. He notices her and he wants to know who she is. So listen to the servant's answer in verses six through seven. The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Well, in, in the servant's answer, Boaz learns several things about Ruth. First, she's young. She's a Moabite. She is somehow connected to Naomi. She's poor. She's having to glean after all. She's polite, but she asked permission to glean. And she's a hard worker. She's been on her feet since early morning. So now, the question is, how will Boaz respond to what he has just learned? After all, it wasn't like Moabites and Israelites were on good terms. Let's put it this way. These two people had a very complicated relationship. At best and at worst, the relationship between Moabites and Israelites was downright hostile. And so as Boaz makes his way over to Ruth the Moabite, you can sense the tension building. How will Boaz treat this Moabite woman from Moab? Look at verse eight. Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. 
Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Oh my goodness. Boaz's words overflow with kindness toward Ruth. Instead of calling her a Moabite, he calls her my daughter. My daughter. Boaz is intentionally breaking down the many social barriers that could separate them. And he is communicating to Ruth his fatherly love and concern for her. My daughter. Boaz knows that not all the fields in Bethlehem are safe. And so he lovingly insists that she not leave his fields. In other fields, there would be men who would harm her or take advantage of her. But in his fields, she'll be safe. He has a strict anti-sexual harassment policy that he compels his men to follow. And so he insists, Ruth, stay in my fields. Stay close to my female servants and don't go into the dangerous fields around. And if you get thirsty, Ruth, my young men have brought up plenty of water. Go on over and have a drink whenever you need. Lavish kindness. And this is almost just too much for Ruth to be able to process. Look at verse 10. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why? Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me although I am a foreigner. Ruth is completely overwhelmed by the kindness of Boaz. Ever since arriving in Bethlehem, Ruth has felt her foreignness. She is the Moabite from Moab. Have you noticed how many times the narrator keeps pointing that out? Though Ruth had hoped to find favor when she left for the fields that morning, she never expected this much favor. This, this was extravagant. Some might even say outrageous grace. And so face to the ground, she humbly asked, why? Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Listen to Boaz's answer in verses 11 and 12. Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me how you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz's words just overflow with kindness and tenderness toward Ruth. First, he speaks so affirmingly of her kindness toward Naomi. Ruth has gone above and beyond the call of duty in all that she has done for her mother-in-law. And Boaz recognizes that and he affirms that. And second, Boaz affirms her courage in being willing to leave her father and her mother and her native land and become a foreigner in a foreign land. And third, Boaz seems to recognize that Ruth's move from Moab to Israel was more than just geographical. Like Abraham and Sarah before her, Ruth had left her family and her pagan gods and entrusted herself to the care 
of God in a new land. And so Boaz prays that the Lord would reward her for what she has done. And he uses this beautiful imagery to describe Ruth's move to Israel. He says she has sought refuge under the wings of God. She sought refuge under the wings of God. And this is an important expression. The word wing literally means the corner of a garment. And this expression was often used to describe marriage. A man would spread his wing or his garment over a woman to marry her. And what it was doing is it was symbolizing the joining of their lives together and the man's responsibility to care for and provide for and protect his wife. He spreads his wing over her. And so Boaz is recognizing that this is the relationship Ruth has with the Lord. Ruth has entered into a covenantal relationship with the God of Israel and is entrusting God to be her refuge, her protector, her provider, the one who takes care of her. You have sought refuge under the wings of God. And little does Boaz know at this point that God will answer his prayer through him spreading his wings over Ruth. But that's for next week's sermon. Right now, they're still just getting to know each other. So look at verse 13 and let's see Ruth's response to Boaz's kind words. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant. Although I'm not like one of your female servants, Ruth, she just can't believe the favor she is experiencing. Boaz, Boaz doesn't seem to even care that she's a Moabite or that she's a lowly servant. Differences in race or class, they don't even seem to matter to this man. Nothing will stop him from showing her kindness. Again, we're seeing the effect God's love and kindness have had on Boaz. His words just overflow with comfort and encouragement. So what about us? Has God's kindness transformed the way you speak to others? Do those you talk with feel comforted and encouraged by your words? Can the waitress who takes your order for lunch sense that there is something about you that has been profoundly impacted by the kindness and grace of God? Do your coworkers or your classmates, students, do they leave conversations with you feeling refreshed and encouraged, like God's love has spilled out of you onto them? Do our family members, do the people living in our homes experience the comfort of God through the comfort and encouragement and tenderness of our words to them? Boaz understands the power of words and he uses his words to bring comfort and encouragement to Ruth the Moabitess. Well, after this warm encounter with Boaz, Ruth gets busy and back to work. 
But before long, she notices that everyone's starting to, to stop working and kind of gather together at one end of the field. And then all of a sudden, she hears the kind voice of Boaz come booming across the field. Hey, Ruth, come over here and have some bread and, and dip it in the vinegar sauce. And so Ruth tentatively makes her way over to the harvesters and she sits down beside them. And, and then Boaz himself comes over and he serves her roasted grain with his own hands. And not just a little bit of roasted grain, but so much so that she, she has some left over. And probably for the first time in a long time, her stomach is satisfied. She's full. She's full. She hasn't felt that feeling in a long time. Well, having eaten her fill, Ruth eventually gets up and heads back into the fields to work. So let's pick up the story after lunch in verse 15. So when she, Ruth, got up to gather grain, Boaz calls a team meeting. Okay, huddle up. Let Ruth even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Why not? Let's even pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather and don't rebuke her about any of this. Okay, if this were an Easter egg hunt, Boaz is saying, just don't even hide the eggs, dump them out in the yard. Maybe right in front of where Ruth's gonna come out of the house and look. He wants Ruth's Easter egg basket filled to overflowing by the time this hunt is over. And again, we are just left overwhelmed by the kindness and generosity Boaz has toward Ruth. The law of God commanded generosity to the poor, but it did not prescribe to what extent. You know, as long as maybe there's a little bit left around the edges of your field, I've obeyed the letter of the law. Boaz gets the heart of God in the giving of this law. Boaz's generosity is extravagant. It's above and beyond what is expected. Boaz is literally telling his workers to be careless in the harvest. Make sure, boys, you leave tons of barley in my field for Ruth to find. And when you're carrying it, feel free to like trip and drop a lot of it along the way. I want Ruth to be able to find as much as she wants. And notice again his protection of her. He commands his servants, listen, don't rebuke her. Don't talk unkindly to her. And again, imagine how vulnerable someone in Ruth's position would be. A greedy landowner and his hired workers could easily, easily make a poor gleaner's life miserable. Hey, don't pick over here. Get out of my way. What are you doing over here? And yet Boaz commands, there's to be none of that in my fields. Instead, he wants his workers to actually make sure that Ruth feels safe and welcome in his fields and that she ends up with a whole bunch of his barley by the end of the day. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 17. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. That's a lot of barley. Okay, so imagine one of those big, like 40 to 50 pound bags of dog food that, you know, you kind of have to into your cart. 
That's what Ruth is like carrying home full of barley. It's a lot of barley. Boaz's workers did what he told them to do. So all day long, all day long, Ruth has been overwhelmed by the kindness of Boaz. He has spoken so kindly and tenderly to her. He has provided for her. He has served her. He has given her more than enough food to eat and he has protected her. And now, now it's time for Boaz's lavish kindness to wash over Naomi's life as well. So I want you to picture the scene with me. Naomi is sitting at home wondering how Ruth's day has gone. Was poor Ruth able to find a field where someone would show her favor? Or, and you can just imagine Naomi not even wanting to let her mind go there. Or has Ruth wandered into the field of a wicked man and has she been assaulted and abused, chased off, hurt? Is Ruth even gonna be coming back home tonight? And then all of a sudden, the door opens and Ruth staggers in with a massive amount of barley. And she plops the barley down and then she comes over to Naomi and she pulls out her leftover lunch and she gives it to Naomi. And at first, Naomi's just, she's just stunned. She, she looks at the, the massive amount of barley and then she looks at Ruth and then back at the massive amount of barley and, and then at Ruth and she just, all of a sudden, Ruth begins to see something that she hasn't seen in a long time. A smile begins to break across the face of Naomi. And she exclaims, Ruth, where, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Naomi can't believe it. Of all the fields that Ruth could have wandered into, she had hit the jackpot. Naomi can't even contain herself. She has to know who is the man who showed you so much favor. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is dun, 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 Boaz. Boaz. And at the name of Boaz, it's like a ray of sunshine penetrates Naomi's heart. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, oh, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Now, verse 20 is a, is a little bit difficult to translate since it's not completely clear in the original language who Naomi is talking about. So the ambiguity here is seen a little bit better in the ESV. Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So the question is, is it Boaz or God? Yes. <laughs> I think the answer is, is ultimately God, but the ambiguity in the grammar is intentional to stop and make us think. Yes, ultimately God. It's God. He's the one who has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead, but he has done that through the kindness 
of Boaz. For Naomi and Ruth, Boaz represents the kindness of God in flesh and blood. So as Naomi looks at the massive amount of barley and hears that Ruth just happened of all the fields to wander into Boaz's field, hope, hope begins to blossom in her heart once again. And and she goes from seeing God as merely someone who is against her to a God who might just possibly be for her. She goes from seeing God merely as a God who empties her, who takes things away from her, to is it possible that God is a God who could fill me like he's filled Ruth's bag with barley? And notice that she says, God has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. So let's talk about the living. God's kindness to her through Boaz is having such an effect on her that it is changing the way she's viewing her life. Back in chapter one, she believed that the Lord's hand has turned against me and he has made my life very bitter. And now she is realizing that through all the hardships she has faced, God has actually not abandoned his kindness toward her. Though the sorrows may last for the night, there is joy that comes in the morning. God's mercies are new each day and his faithfulness is great. Even when you can't see it or feel it. And what's even more amazing is that not only has God not abandoned his kindness to her and Ruth, the living, God has not even abandoned his kindness to the dead, to her dead husband and dead sons. This is because, as Naomi explains to Ruth, this man, Boaz, he is a close relative. He he is one of our family redeemers. And when they, what Naomi is realizing is that Boaz isn't just a kind and generous man. He is a kind and generous close relative. He is a kind and generous family redeemer. He could, he could restore the name and property of her dead husband and sons. What Naomi is realizing is that in Boaz, He is one of a few people who could bring life back to Naomi's dead family. Her hopeless future may not be so hopeless after all. Because her God, her God is a God who has not abandoned his kindness to the living or to the dead. Naomi's mind is spinning. She's trying to process all that she has just heard. But Ruth just keeps talking. Ruth's in the moment. She's got to tell Naomi about her day. Verse 21, Ruth said, he told me, Boaz told me, stay with my young men uh, until they have finished all of my harvest. So Ruth wants her mother-in-law, hey, (laughs) Boaz's kindness wasn't just for the day. 
He didn't just hand me a meal and walk off. No, it was for the whole harvest. He said, come back day after day and enjoy the kindness, protection, and provision that you'll find in my fields. Ruth is saying, Naomi, there's hope for the future. We aren't going to starve to death. Verse 22, so Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good. It's probably an understatement. (laughs) It is so good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. So Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, we began this morning by recognizing that there's this big question hanging in the air around chapter one. What kind of God has Ruth committed herself to? Is Naomi's God only a God who takes away, who empties but never fills? And what we have seen throughout this story is that that is not all there is to the God of Israel. Behind and underneath all the emptiness that we feel in our lives, our God is a God who never, never, never forsakes his unbreakable commitment to do us good. Our God is a God who takes delight who takes delight in surprising and overwhelming us with his kindness. As we all know, it wasn't just a lucky coincidence that Ruth happened to wander into Boaz's field, right? What Ruth too is teaching us about God is that God is sovereignly committed to surprising and overwhelming his people with his kindness. And he does this through a redeemer. In leaving Moab and returning to God, Naomi and Ruth found a kind and gracious redeemer, a man who provided for them and protected them and cared for them. And the same is true for all who turn from their sin and who come to God in faith. God is promising that all those who come to him will find an even greater an even kinder redeemer than Boaz. A redeemer who will provide for you and protect you and overwhelm you with his kindness. And this redeemer is none other than God's very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down his very life for us to redeem us from our bondage to sin. And then three days later, he powerfully got up out of the grave, conquering sin and death, never to die again. And Jesus is ready and willing and eager to overwhelm you today with his kindness. So maybe you feel a little bit like Ruth today, like an outsider, like someone whose past is just too broken too messed up to be accepted. I want to tell you from God's word that Jesus is a redeemer who notices you. And Jesus is a redeemer who speaks so kindly and so tenderly to you. And Jesus will not ignore you and Jesus will not run you off 
Jesus sees you and he will welcome you in and provide for you and protect you. Jesus is such a good and kind and generous and gracious redeemer. And so I'd encourage you to heed Naomi's advice to Ruth. My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing bad will happen to you in another field. Don't go looking for another field. Danger awaits you in someone else's field, but in your Redeemer's field. But in your Redeemer's field, there is protection and overwhelming kindness. Ruth, too, is an invitation, an open-armed invitation to all of us, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time, to return to God and discover anew his overwhelming kindness for us in Jesus, our Redeemer. So won't you come to Jesus today? Won't you come into his kindness and mercy and protection and care? Well, even though Ruth and Naomi have begun to experience the first fruits of the Redeemer's kindness in chapter two, there is still so much more to come. Everything is not happily ever after yet. And chapter two ends with a vivid reminder of that. And Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Two widows living together. And yes, they've survived through the harvest time. But what will happen to these poor widows once the harvest ends? And it's to that question that we will turn next week. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the kindness you have shown us in Jesus, our Redeemer. I pray that you would overwhelm us again with a fresh awareness of just how loving and gracious, and kind, and generous you are. I pray that you would guard us from thinking that life would be better for us in a different field. Oh, protect us, Father, from such foolish thinking, and help us to live in the joy and the goodness of your loving kindness toward us in Christ. And help us to display your kindness to those around us this week. And we ask these things in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.